Hi, everyone. Welcome to Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children podcast, where we bridge conversations from parenting to child well-being and social justice and provide resources and tools for parents connected to research that matters to us and to our community. I'm Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes. And I'm Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass. Let's get started. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we're beginning a series on parenting and parenting styles. Today on the show, we're excited to introduce to you a special guest, Dr. Candace Jones. She is the author of High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy, Healthy, Well-Behaved Kids. And she is a board-certified pediatrician promoting health and wellness for our children. Dr. Jones, we are so happy you're here. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you ladies. Yeah. Awesome. And so your book offers a positive parenting approach to apply healthy and effective discipline. Can you talk with us a little bit more about like gentle parenting and parenting options, your expertise and the approach that you talk about in your book? Certainly I can do that. That's a great place to start. So with high five discipline, positive parenting for happy, healthy, well-behaved kids, This positive parenting approach is a healthy and effective way to discipline that keeps our kids' overall growth and development in mind. And the goal is two things. Can my child do what I want them to do, right? Can they do this, what I'm expecting of them in this moment, which is a question of our expectations. Are they realistic? And number two, how can I teach them? Because that's what discipline means in its purest form to teach. How can I teach them that's appropriate for their developmental stage? And so if we group it all in a nutshell, it's about how we teach them in effective, means it works, healthy way, that supports their growth and development, and it's not harmful to them. And so this is what this approach is all about. There's lots of, to your second question, there's lots of parenting styles, Mm -hmm. and some are evidence-based, some are not. So you have to be careful what you're following and what you're listening to. For example, gentle parenting that you mentioned, there's conscious discipline, there's various evidence-based parenting programs out there that do wonderful work like Incredible Years and Triple P. And so there's lots of information out there in ways to parent. And I just encourage parents to, you know, learn that information and apply what fits them. It's all about fit. Mm -hmm. And if we have time, I'd like to go into the four disciplinary styles because I think we hear all of these coined phrases, right? All these coin for a tiger parent, you know, helicopter parent, I'm doing gentle parenting, I'm doing, you know, high five discipline or whatever, one, two, three magic, you know, from the evidence and the literature, the science of this child Mm -hmm. development and all of this, there are foundationally four disciplinary styles and all of this other stuff comes out of that. Okay. What are the four? Yeah, so yes. just and tell so us what, what are just the four coin phrases, right? Yeah. So the four disciplinary styles, and I do discuss that in in my book, High Five Discipline, are authoritative disciplinary style, authoritarian disciplinary style, permissive 
disciplinary style and neglectful disciplinary style. And really nobody is all or, you know, some of us are hybrids of that. And at certain times or certain times in space, we may be more strict or authoritarian and then mostly authoritative or more of a democracy in our homes. But those are the four main from which all of this other stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and that's like taking me back to like the early childhood development. Uh, Sharita and I both were at yes. essence, but thank you for, so much cop- yeah. yes, thank you for reminding us yeah. of that. And so what I would love to hear, and as you said, there are these newer coined phrases and terms and approaches to parenting that come from these four frameworks on parenting. But I would love for you to tell us a little bit about in terms of those four different types. Um, is there a type that we see more often in Black or African-American parents? One, And then two, is there a distinction in positive parenting and how Black parents approach positive parenting compared to others? Because we know the reality is that Black parents often have to help their children navigate racial encounters. So is there a particular type out of those four that the research demonstrates Black parents tend to use more often than others? And then two, what does positive parenting look like for Black parents? Mm -hmm. Right. Those are great, great, great questions. And I think the literature is growing. You know, when I look and when I researched for this book and had so many people to help me with this, there was contradictory data. There was data from, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and then data, more recent data within the past five years. So it's still growing. There are many institutions and individuals who are doing research around parenting and now digging into and realizing that not everyone's lived experience is the same. And that is going to impact the way you parent. For instance, like you said, within our culture, Black parents or parents of color in general, because of racism, just to put it point blank, period, mm-hmm. we parent in a more protective, save my child, protect my child way, which I discuss in the book is we feel is very needed, but it is fear based, right? When our child leaves the home, we're worried, you know, if you do this or if you mess up, you're going to be treated harsher. You know, if you mess up and a cop sees it, you could not come home. And so we Mm -hmm. tend to, and I hate to stereotype because clearly we understand not all Black families are the same, right? But we tend to have that in common where we know a simple mistake can be deadly for our kids. Whereas with their white counterparts, it's just, oh, they're kids being kids. Or they just made a mistake, you know, and they're given that empathy and understanding and that pass. And so what that looks like in the home sometimes is more authoritarian, more strict, punishing, because we're trying to force the issue really hard and fast so they won't go out and mess up. When in reality, children need time to grow and develop. Most things that kids do wrong are phases and stages. We know that developmentally. And so sometimes we may be creating harm. And that's what the evidence shows for authoritarian parenting. It's it's harmful. And so we may be creating some harm and even creating the effect that we're trying to protect them from outside of our homes. Right, right. And we do right? 
Right. And so the APA, American Psychological Association, did come out with a report, maybe it was 2012 or so, where they really did a report on spanking, which caused a lot of conversation among professionals, let alone parents, right? Talking about the harms associated with spanking, which we call corporal punishment. And really, the United States is one of the only developed countries that has not signed on to the United Nations, you know, saying we will not endorse corporal punishment, although we encourage other countries to do that. So I think it's important to note that. And what I like what you said, you started out by saying that discipline is really teaching at its core, instruction at its core, right? And then I like how you started to say, you know, and really are bringing to the forefront that, you know, in order to promote protection and in some ways resilience, perhaps Black parents tend to be a little more authoritarian in hoping to shelter, right, their children. So I do wonder, though, how does positive parenting, you know, thinking about that instruction, right, because racial socialization is both modeling behavior as well as conversations and lessons and sharing. So thinking about that and thinking about, you know, understanding, you know, parents' awareness that how our children are perceived and treated are different from their peers how does positive parenting look for Black parents, right? Because it sounds like there is an opportunity to, you know, protect your children, to teach them, to help them navigate in a positive way, even in their Black identity, even in recognizing, you know, that's where the joy and resilience come, recognizing that there are challenges, but we can be on the positive side. So what does positive parenting look like for Black parents? Absolutely. Great, great, great question. So you hit it. First and foremost, we have to teach our children to navigate this world from the frame of reference of how we're treated in society. So racial socialization, right? We have to teach them that stuff at home at a very, very young age. That's number one. And I think that is the defining difference. We have Mm -hmm. to do it. And then the rest of it, that's positive parenting, I teach it to everyone, no matter what their background or racial identity is. And so we know the high five essentials of positive parenting are understanding growth and development and building up your parenting skills. So I am a big person who talks to parents about reading parenting books, giving them resources for reputable parenting sites, also for encouraging them to take a parenting class. I talk about in my book how, as a doctor, I wasn't taught about parenting. When I had my kids, I was like, whoa, I can't do it the way my mom did. I I got some aces from that. So let me figure this thing out. And then I started sharing with my patients. And then I said, oh, we all need a book. And (laughs) and it kind of grew out of that. And so that's not Number one, growth and development, learning your parenting skills, take a parenting class. Number two is all about relationship. So positive parent-child relationship. And then number three is how we encourage children to behave. That's that positive reinforcement. That's telling them what to do in a nurturing and supportive way. All of those types of skills. Number four is what do we do when they misbehave? doesn't have to be. We need positive, healthy, effective alternatives to hitting, shaming, controlling, yelling, all of that's damaging to our kids. And we need to build up our skill, our toolkit 
to doing those things. So the book talks about the things you can do to discourage inappropriate behavior. But that is just 15%. We want you to do the other stuff most of the time. And then you'll have only this small amount of time to worry about what I got to do now that he did this or she did this. And the last one is managing the environment. And that's where gentle parenting and my positive parenting approach really overlaps in some of the other good ones is because we understand that we cannot control our kids. And I know that's having some people clutching their pearls. You may can when they're two or three, but by the time they're teenagers, you can't. So that control doesn't last you long. We can control the environment, though. We can set up boundaries and rules and structure and routine and our children will get in line. We can set them up for behavioral success by getting ahead of problems and anticipating what they're gonna do and how they're gonna do it. And so those are the high five essentials that I try to teach every parent with anything that they come to me about. You know, I say, okay, this is a relationship thing. Let's talk about that. This is a managing the environment thing. Let's talk about that. That's how my brain works. (laughs) And so Candace, I was going to ask, and you brought up a good point, the developmental sort of trajectory of this. So say, for example, you mentioned about the importance of starting young, but how does this approach like work like with teenagers? If you've not like say for the parents that's out there that never even heard of gentle parenting or don't haven't even heard of the four types of parenting styles, how do they get this? Because this might be their aha moment, right? And so, how might that look if they have teenagers and they're just starting to do this? Yeah. So, you know, I feel like this approach can work at any age and wherever you are, just start, you know? Mm. And this is a iterative or you started the foundation and you build upon it, right? And so I don't care if it's a toddler or a newborn or a teenager, you still have to understand, let's go back through the five real quick, growth and development parenting skills for teenagers, right? How are they developmentally? Why do they do what they do? How is their brain working, right? And so we know that they think they're grown, <laughs> right? They want to be independent, but they still need you. They're really all about what their friends and peers are doing. And so learn about the teenage brain, right? And then, you know, seek first to understand. Seek first to understand them and their brain and where they are and what they do. And then that's your end to build your relationship around that. So seeing them for who they are, spending quality time with them, letting them talk. You know, my son will tell me that in a minute. Mom, you don't listen. And I go, okay, Finish your, you finish your statement because if they feel like we're not listening, we're doing all the talking, they just shut down. So there are tools that we cover for teenagers that are very important to the teenage brain where we can get in there and reach them and still continue to guide and teach them in that phase and stage in their life. Can I just follow up? I think that was a a wonderful sort of robust response to Sharita's question. And I just want to follow up and ask you, what are your recommendations for perhaps parents of teenagers or preteens who are new to this approach? Perhaps they hadn't been trying this approach, but they were getting exhausted with what they were doing in terms of supporting 
this strategy, right? Because this may be new to them and new to some of the parents that they reference or their own experience. As you said, you know, you may have had some ACE from your childhood, right? Discipline, Mm -hmm. ACE being acute childhood experiences for our audience. So if you're starting relatively late in this positive parenting approach, you know, sure, you could take a class, but sometimes you need more than that. So what conversations do you have when you're teaching or when you're talking to the parents of your teen, you know, patients who come in so that they can attempt to practice this, right? Because practice helps us to become more comfortable and aware of not only our response to our children, but what our children need. So what supports do you recommend or how do you recommend that they develop supports if they are parents of teenagers or preteens and just getting started? Absolutely. I think my book, and I'm looking at it right now to answer this question, but one thing I want to back up and say is utilize your pediatrician. And hopefully you have a pediatrician that you are comfortable with. That's like, I call myself the auntie, like a member of your family and take that stuff to them. Whatever challenges you have, whatever questions on any given day, somebody's coming in. Can you talk to her about her body? I try to talk to her about her period, but can you go over that with her? I'm going to step out. And, you know, I love that stuff. And if your pediatrician doesn't love that or have time for that, find a new one. So I think they're a wonderful resource for you to kind of, they can start that conversation with you in the room with your team. So starting with those high five essentials, what can your team do? Things like puberty. If you feel like you have an angry teen that's sending you mixed emotional messages, which is what happens with teens, understand that's hormonal changes usually with puberty, That may be some challenges with their friends and girlfriends and things at school. So just kind of sitting with them and sometimes and just asking, everything okay with school? You know, I'm here for you. I was a teenager once too. I had lots of challenges. Maybe share something a little bit, right? Keep your ear, keep your listener. Don't let your child isolate in their room. I think a lot of times we're letting our kids grow up too fast. We just let them go off by themselves. And they're in their rooms on their phones and whatever. And we're like, oh, they're cool. They fine. I, you know, a lot of kids that I screen for depression and ACEs and things like that, their parents have no idea that they're struggling with depression and suicidal ideations or had the trauma that they had. So monitor and supervise your children, not helicopter, but keep an ear out. Keep an eye out. Bring them out of their room. Come eat dinner with me. Let's go get some ice cream this weekend. Stay close enough so that you know what's going on and make sure they know that they can tell you anything, they can talk to you about anything, and that you have gone through this too, that relatability piece. So I think that is key. And you should get ahead and keep it real with your kids. Depending on their age, you should be telling them, your daughter, these boys want one thing, baby. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and they're going to say they love you. They're going to say, are you so pretty? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're go- the girls are all trying to dress up and get spider lashes and talon nails to look cute for the boys and short clothes. You don't have to do any of that. You know, building their self-esteem and their confidence. Get ahead of that stuff. Don't wait till your child starts doing it and then trying to say, whoa, 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 because you're scared. Start prepping them as to what's coming with their body, with their development, with relationships. 
especially watching them when they get their first boyfriends. We know about dating violence and all these things that happen yeah. with young people. There's so many things that we need to be kind of bringing up and talking to our kids about. So that's what this looks like. So it sounds like positive parenting is a few things, right? You have these five elements which are built on these four types of parenting. And we know that there may have been, you know, authoritarian parenting was common in some form or fashion for Black parents. You know, that for many of us who may have had, you know, a more heavy-handed, literally authoritarian experience, we may have acute childhood or adverse, excuse me, childhood experiences as it relates to that. So that term ACE, adverse childhood experiences. But, you know, there are these different options and different generations and parents who are attempting to do something different with their sons and their daughters. And you brought up a couple of things just now that I like. So it sounds like relationship is just as important as these strategies. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing. Being in relation with your child from the moment that they get here into perpetuity. So it sounds like this yeah. parenting has a lot to do with being in relation with your child. So you know them. We know that that changes through these different life stages, but you still have to be in relation. And I think that's critical. I remember when I would, you know, work in schools, you know, there's this balance between, but they're teenagers and they have to be prepared to go on to college or to their careers. Yeah. But that doesn't mean just to leave it all up to them, right? And I that's think that's true. what you're saying. And then you mentioned, you know, keep it real with them, right? Get down to the brass tacks of it all. So that brings me to one of our next questions, which I would love to hear from, because we've talked about how some of the racialized experiences have traditionally and do continue to influence how we parent. But I would love to hear, how do you think culture, you know, has influenced Blacks' parenting styles, right? So even in the positive parenting space, right? How mm -hmm. has culture, because we're talking about raising joyful and resilient Black beautiful children, might I add. So what role does culture play in how Black parents parent, even in this positive space? Yeah. So I think there are pros and cons there, and I'm going to try to keep it as positive as possible, because we've talked about the cons of culture and how it can disrupt what we're trying to do in raising resilient, happy, healthy kids, you know, and that gets back to that racism piece and some of the harsh challenges and barriers that our children face and that we have to watch out for, protect them from, but also teach them to deal with because we're not always around them, right? And then teach them to tell us about so that we can advocate for them. So that's, for me, that cultural piece is huge. And I'll give an example there. My son is at a private school. It's predominantly, I would say white, but there's diversity, but not Black diversity, right? And so he's the only Black kid in his close-knit friend group, but there's Hispanic, there's Chinese. But between all of them, He's always telling me this stuff that ding, 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 that's racist. And then I'm trying to like take a deep breath and go, so what do you think about that? You know, I've taught him like on the weekend, I'm always talking about something in the realm of racial socialization and social activism. And so I'm trying to teach him to pick up on those cues, to resist those cues, to educate back and to train people to don't come at me with that. We don't do that over here, you know? So instead of like sending an angry letter and going up to the school because he needs to be able to handle it himself. So that's one piece, which I think is the con. The pro, the positive side of this, I think from our culture is that, you know, we 
come from royalty and kings and queens and everything we do, people want to do it. They don't want to be black, but they want to be black. You know what I mean? (laughs) Our hair, the way we move, the way we talk, the way we do everything we do is so attractive. And our kids see that. And I love how my daughter, who's six, when we talk about building our kids' self-esteem and confidence, she's like, she wants to rock her big, frizzy fro every day. And I have to hold her back and like, yeah, but when I pick you up, it's smashed on one side and it's all crepes. Can't we just put it in a puff? But she loves her curls. Okay, she's not talking about straightening my hair. And that's fine if she does, but she loves her hair. She loves her black dolls everywhere we go. If y'all look at my social media, Coco is with her, her black doll, (laughs) you know? And so these are the things that I think that's resilience. That's building up strong black kids who love themselves, love their culture, seeing themselves and their people in a positive light. And that's what we have to do. And the other piece of that, the last thing I want to say is, We have to make sure that we're providing safe, stable, nurturing relationships. That's a big thing for me in my approach. And safe, stable, nurturing environments. And that's in our home. That's in school. That's at church. That's at the Y and the Boys and Girls Club. That's with their coaches. That's with their whatever. So we need to vet all of these things and all of these people and make sure they're a good fit and they're the best and have our kids' best interest in mind. And we also need to make sure our kids are getting, when we talk about resilience, tons of positive childhood experience. And that's just not taking them shopping, buying them what they want. No, that's permissive sometimes. It's Mm -hmm. more about the positive childhood experience study out of Hopkins talks about, even when you've had a lot of ACEs and trauma and hardship, If you had these seven things, you still turned out okay, basically. That's not the exact verbiage, but you still had resilience and overcame and did okay. And some of those things were just having nurturing caregivers and just feeling like they belonged and just feeling like they had people they could go to outside of their parents, feeling like they were loved. And so these are the things that we need to make sure we're instilling in our parenting, that we're modeling for our kids, and that we are setting up in the environments outside of our home for them. We also need to build systems of support. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, I'm here and we don't have a lot of family here, but we've strategically built from school to other families and friends that they hang out with. We've built our village where we can call on and get the support and help that we need. And lastly, we need to be our best selves. Self-care. We have to be well-regulated adults in order to do this for our kids, in order to pour in our kids. And we have to have some resilience to give them resilience. Yeah. And Candice, I just want to ask you this like last question. This has been amazing. I just want to say that. And so what are the ways, though, that parents can use positive parenting and like disciplining. So we talked about the communication, the importance of relationships, but what about like discipline? Valerie, you talked about corporal punishment. What are the alternatives for parents? Absolutely. 
You know, honestly, the high five essentials that I went through is the discipline, Hmm. but I'll get more into examples. So for instance, when you have good relationship with your child, they will follow you. They will listen to you because they're safe and secure with you, right? All kids are going to mess up sometime, but literally, not that I'm the poster boy for this, but literally, I feel like I have a good relationship with my kids and my daughter, she'll do something that's unwanted or inappropriate. And I can say, oh, ma, why you do that? You know, I can play to her and she just melts because it's like, oh, I hurt mom, or I've upset mom, or, oh man, mom's disappointed. That's because of our relationship. If my child didn't like me and I'm yelling and hitting at her and shaming her, especially when it gets to those teen years, if there's these acts of rebellion and you just really have this terrible, they're not gonna listen to you, they're not gonna follow you, they're gonna resist you at every hand if you don't tighten up that relationship piece and let it be known that that love is there. Not just the feeling I love you, my child, but the act, the verb. Are you showing me love? You know, that type of thing. And so that's important to discipline. How can I teach you if you're not gonna listen to me? If you don't feel safe with me and secure with me and love me and want to follow me, right? So the skills is all in the book. We talked about when we encourage children to behave, we utilize positive reinforcement. We tell them what to do. So one thing a lot of parents, I hear them do, I give you an example. Don't do that. You know, stop it. You know, no, stop, don't, right? And toddlers especially are struggling for that independence, right? And nine times out of 10, I know in clinic, they're not listening and they're getting popped and they're getting yelled at and it's no, stop, don't, no, stop, don't. You just hear it all out in the the waiting area. And so I'll talk to the parent about, let's flip that to a positive way. Let's tell them what to do. Instead of the contraction, the negative, let's tell them what to do. Let's redirect, distract, you know, and let's tell them what to do. Okay, get down, feet on the ground, walking feet instead of stop running. Don't jump up there. Don't touch the trash can. Come here. Let me show you this. If I'm managing the environment, I came with food, water, snacks, toys, whatever, while I'm waiting in the exam room. And I've seen parents do this beautifully. They have everything. That baby's not misbehaving. They're drawing, they're coloring, they're eating their snacks. And not once does that parent have to say, get out of the trash can, you know, da, 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 da. Because they got some ready at every moment for that child to do. That parent is in control. That parent is managing the environment. And if the child does stray, they can tell them, oh, no, 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 come here. Redirect. Distract. Oh, here's your iPad. Here's your coloring book. And you've got things to bring them back to you. Teachers do this all the time. And if they can do it and they don't hit kids, they're not supposed to, and they're not supposed to yell and shame and, you know, all those things. And they can manage a classroom of 25, 30 kids. We know these skills work. 
You just have to learn them and practice them. They have to come like second nature. So those are the better teachers who love on our Black children and we need more of them. So let me just clarify that. And then I just want to follow with two questions. I know that we are wrapping up and I love those practical examples for our parents who are saying, I'm really Mm -hmm. struggling because sometimes as parents, we struggle. So I must ask you two questions. So my first question is, if not three, I would love for you to tell us what is your favorite discipline, positive parenting discipline with your children. And then two, if we can just talk to the elephant in the room, which is spare the rod, spoil the child, right? What does that mean in the Black community? Or what does that mean if we are going to practice positive parenting? Are we still saying that there is discipline? It just looks different, right? I'm certain parents, well, you know, I, I spare the, you know, so let's just at least talk about that before we move on and yeah. give you time to be back your positive parenting self with your children. <laughs> I, I love those questions. And I was trying to find the exact quote. I don't know if you guys have heard of Stacey Patton. She has a book called Spare the Rod. It's the flip of that statement. And I mentioned her in my book and she does an excellent job and she's so raw and real with it. But it's a wonderful book. I have the book, it's called Spare the Rod, I think. And she breaks it all the way down about why we should not be spanking our black kids. It basically says it don't save black kids. It hurts black kids. Okay, because that's why we do. We think we're saving our kids. It's mandatory. Right. And she talks about how this was not a traditional practice in African culture. It was handed down to us through slavery. So we are perpetuating slavery practices. When wow. we are, and we know we are a traumatized people. We went through hundreds of years of all types of trauma. So it takes some time to break all of that down. But she talks about that. And then, like you said earlier with the APA, with church, there are churches. There is the whole, like you said, the United Nation. There are AAP, APA, every major organization around the mental health of children have said that we should not be spanking kids. It's harmful mentally, it's harmful physically, it oftentimes is a slippery slope to physical abuse. We know that children who have been hit are more likely to hit their partner when they get older. We know they're more likely to engage with mental health disorders, substance abuse, and kids, teenagers who are hit are more likely to be very aggressive. And so there's so much data And even, you know, brain studies now showing the difference (laughs) in brains of individuals who have experienced some of this traumatic stuff. And so we shouldn't be. But like you said, I'll tie it back to the biblical. First of all, that is not the actual scripture, like you said, but we rephrase it in our own way. And in our churches and in many of our homes, we believe this is mandatory from God that if we don't spank our kids, they're going to be spoiled rotten. I have had a father tell me he was cursing over his brand new baby. I asked him to settle down that everything he says and does, this baby is soaking it up in the environment. I was, you know, talking very calmly and peacefully with him. And he was like, I bet you don't spank your kid. I said, I try not to. You know, I I grew up with that. I struggled early, but I definitely have gotten so much better with the way that I parent. We don't have to do that and we don't need to do that. So when he was leaving out, he said, I know her kids are elfed up. 
you know. So basically, he really believes that if people, so many people believe if you're not spanking your kids, then they're spoiled, they're no good, they ain't gonna be about nothing, all the bad things you can think of. So I talk about myths and facts in the book, and I have these big boxes. And let's make this clear. To many people, discipline equals spanking. That's the defining thing. Do you discipline your house? I hear, hear people all the time. We can't discipline our kids no more. We'll go to jail. That's what's wrong with kids. They mean spanking. And for your audience and what I try to put in this book, discipline does not equal spanking. The word discipline means to teach. To teach. So how do you teach your kids? Do you teach them in a physical way, which is a negative form of discipline? Do you teach them in a positive way by talking to them, listening to them, building relationships, modeling for them, guiding them? Yes, in my approach, there is role for consequences, removal of privileges, maybe a timeout or a time in, which is shown now to be more effective. Or, you know, there are so many options outside of the negative forms that we have proven are harmful to children. Even yelling, screaming, cursing, all of that stuff is harmful. Doctor, I just think that is so important, Dr. Jones, that you shared that with us. And thank you for sharing that and contextualizing it because it's our culture and our expression. But then some of this, as you said, has been passed on to us generational, like generational trauma, right? Some people call it post-traumatic slave syndrome without even being aware of that connection. So you were mentioning Stacey Patton and her book is titled Spare the Kids. So for those parents who might want to take a closer look at both your book as well as Stacey Patton's book around Spare the Kids. So she talks about the harm and you talk about what can you do to have a loving relationship and positive discipline. So we thank you for that and for spending time with us and giving us those practical examples from your own life as a parent, as well as from you know working with your, your patients. And I have to chuckle because I had to discipline my six-year-old at the time, she was four, and my sister came and said, did you spank her? I said, I sent her to her room. And she said, all yeah. that noise? I said, all I said was go to your room. She has the best room in the house. I said, I lay one hand on her. I don't have to. Right? So I right. totally get it. But right. she's not about going into that room. I can tell you that. So, right. yes. And, you know, and as you just said, you know, Rod is not literal. Right? I see that. It's not necessarily literal. It's a symbol. It's symbolic of mm-hmm. discipline, of teaching. And I right. think that reframing. So if our parents and the guardians who are listening can think of, how do I teach my child better habits, better behavior, what the consequences are. And I think we have to do double duty because we have to teach them in a way that, you know, protects their childhood, right? Honors their stage of development, but also helps them to understand how people are going to respond to them outside of their village, right? Because we know that they're Black children. They're going to have these racialized encounters. So we can still protect them and raise them with adequate behavior and prepare them for these environments, as you said, without perhaps engaging in the kind of discipline that might result in adverse childhood experiences. So yeah. I do want to thank you for sharing your personal experience and even, you know, your, your own, hey, I had to come along with this and from your own, as well as from working with your patients, if not your direct patients, the little ones or the not so little ones, sometimes the parents, right? Because the parents need that support mm-hmm. as much as the children. So, you know, we're all part of this village and, and we see this podcast and this extension of that village so that our children are joyful and that 
they too are, you know, resilient. And it sounds like that with some work and some practice and some community that we can be more of us, more Black parents can be in that space of positive parenting and feel good about it, right? Not feel Absolutely. guilty about choosing this option, right? Because some people right. say, you don't like right. to, you don't spank your child, you know? So this idea that we can do it and we can have healthy, resilient, and joyful children who listen to us. That's right. There you go. That's right. That's All of the above. As we wrap up our time, right? We got two snaps, four snaps, six snaps for us. Right. This right. Is six snaps, two for each hand. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap up our time with you this evening? Yeah. Just thank you guys so much for you ladies so much for having me on. This is a wonderful conversation. As you, as you can see, I'm so passionate about this. Because, you know, our passion comes from our purpose and our pain and all that yeah. stuff. So I've been through this. Yeah. And so love to share it with especially my people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you well, so much. Thank you, Candice, for joining us. So Dr. Candice Jones, who is a pediatrician, a mom, and an author. She's the author of High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy healthy, well-behaved kids. And she, again, she's board-certified pediatrician, so she is not a graduate of YouTube University. She is a (laughs) board-certified official doctor, (laughs) okay? And we want you to know, let's be clear, that she is a doctor. She sees patients, right? So here we are at the end of this episode, and we hope that you come back and join us again. And this is indeed Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children. It is a part of the Alive Podcast and Network. And this podcast was created and produced by Dr. Jacqueline Gouget, edited by Manny Simon of Vita Productions. Follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to whatisblack.co. That's whatisblack.co for parenting resources and tools. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on social media and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at whatisblack, at whatisblk. We're Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass. And I'm Dr. Sharita Butler-Burns. And thank you all for listening.